0: Amen. Well, we are in uh, Matthew chapter 8, and today is actually part uh, 3 of of a series that we've been doing. And uh, so you know, we've been talking about the men that had a legion of demons. They had a thousand, thousands of demons that were possessing these individuals. And so when we began this study uh, there in, in Matthew 8, we actually talked about the power of Satan and his demons, and then last week, as we gave the poor, uh, we gave that time to to talk about the power of uh, of demons and Satan. Last week, we gave Jesus his part to talk about the power of Satan. I mean, the power of Jesus. And as we looked at the power of Jesus, we examined his power and. And it was revealed to all of us, really, the the power that He has over all creation. And this includes demons, because they were created by Him as angels. Unfortunately, they rebelled and they sinned, and they became what they are today. And so today, what are we going to talk about today? We're going to be talking about the response towards Jesus. okay We all have to make a response towards Jesus. And this is what today's message is about how did, this people, how did these individuals respond towards Jesus? I want you to know one thing about Jesus. He is the only person that calls mankind to make a choice. A choice to be either for Him or against Him. And we're talking about a choice from the beginning, which is from Adam and Eve, all the way through today and through the future. Jesus is the only one that calls everyone to make a choice, either we're going to be for him or either we're going to be against him. And one thing that we know is that as we talk about this, right, there's there's sort of this division that that we think of, right? It, it, it causes people to have uh, to make a choice, right? Either you're going to be for him or against him. You know, Jesus does come to bring division, as he talked about, right? Either we're going to be children of God or we're not going to be children of God. And we know that as We are, as for those of us that have made a choice for Jesus, we know that prior to this choice, we were at odds with Christ. And we see this today, right? How the world is at odds with God. They're at odds with Jesus Christ. And the scriptures talk about this. The scriptures have already revealed that this would happen. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 7. It says, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. What this is saying is that flesh opposes God. Is that you're either gonna choose God or you're not gonna choose Him. See, there is a hostility towards God. Our flesh is hostile against God. It wants to fulfill its desires. It doesn't want to do what God does or what God says. It opposes who He is. And so we know that as we look at this, right, we're gonna examine people. Either they're gonna hate Jesus, they're going to like Jesus, they're either going to accept Jesus, or they're going to reject Jesus, either they're going to receive Jesus, or they're going to turn away from Him. And so this is what we'll see, right? We're going to see this through the Scripture. So with that, let's let's open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 8, and we're going to read beginning in verse 28, and what we'll do is we're just going to expound on the last two verses from Matthew, and not only from Matthew, we're going to look at Mark's account that gives us additional details. And so let's go ahead and, and read beginning here in verse 28. It says, when he had come to get, when he had come to the other side, to the country of the Gergazines, there met him two demon possessed men, coming out of the tombs exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they cried out saying, what have we to do with you, Jesus, you son of God? Have you come here to torment us? Before the time. Now, a good way off from them, there was a herd of many swine. We're talking about pig, pigs here. They were feeding. And so the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, permit us to go into the herd of swine. And he said to them, Go. So when they had come out, they went into the herd of swine. And suddenly, the whole herd of swine ran violently down the steep place into the sea and perished. In the water. Then those who kept them fled, and they went away into the city and told everything, including what had happened to the demon possessed men. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to depart from the region. You know, as you see here, right, you see here the response of people. We actually have a response here that is given to us from Matthew about the town, right? The city that saw Jesus. And when we look at Mark's account, we're actually going to see a response from these men that were demon-possessed. You know, what we have here is, we have here really uh, just a, 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 an amazing event that's taken place. You know, you see here how Matthew describes these demons, right? He describes these demons that were in these men. And they made these men exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass by. When you look at Mark's account, it says that they were actually naked. And that they were actually bound with many chains and shackles. And that they were so strong that they would break them apart. And not only that, but that they would also cut themselves. Imagine that. That they were cutters, right? As they were possessed by demons, they would cut themselves. And not only this, but they would go around there screaming in the graveyard, in the tombs. And so you have these demons, right? And that's why we talked about the power that they have. And then in the next couple of verses, beginning there, in verse 30 through 32, we talked about the power of Jesus. We talked about the power of God, how He was able to command these demons to go, to leave these men, to leave the, the possession that they had, how they inhabited these men. And so we see how the demons actually, they, they, they prostrated themselves, they worshipped Jesus. And as soon as Jesus told them to go, they fled. And now we come into the response. What do people do after they see things like this? See, Matthew tells us that these demons here, I mean these men, beginning in verse 33, that after they saw these men that were demon-possessed, And after they saw the swine or the pigs that ran over the cliff and fell into the sea, that they split. They left. You know what? They left. And why did they leave? They left to go tell the town what they saw. And so what I want to do now is I want to read Mark's account. Because I think Mark gives us some insight, some additional insight that is really relevant to the things that we're talking about today. So if you turn your Bibles now to Mark chapter 5 beginning in verse 14. It tells us here, it says, So those who fed the swine fled. The same thing that Matthew says, right? That those who were feeding the swine, the feeding the pigs, that were taking care of the pigs, they fled. And they told it in the city and in the country, the things that happened. And when they went out to see what it was that had happened, then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed. And had the legion and as I mentioned to you last time a legion represents a a, a number of soldiers so we have here a representation of of Satan's army and a legion is up to 6,000 soldiers we know one thing about the the amount of pigs that were there sort of gives us an idea of how many demons were possessing these two men there were 2,000 pigs 2,000 swine and so you have sort of a Insight here as to how many men, how many demons were possessing these men. But look at what it says that when the town came out to see what had happened, they saw the one who had been demon possessed, back to Mark, and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. So we see three things here. The two were sitting with Jesus, they were now clothed, and they were now in their right mind. And then the people, it says, they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it had happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. And then they began to plead with him to depart from the region. So we see here, right? We see insight. See, we see here what took place. As we, as we read here, Mark gives us additional insight. Mark tells us that, that these men, they are now clothed and in the right mind. I want to tell you why Mark tells us that they are now clothed. See, because Luke gave us in his summary of this event, in Luke chapter 8 verse 27, it he told us that these men that were running around screaming, demon possessed, that they wore no clothes. Luke 8:27 says that they had no clothes, clothes on those that were demon possessed. But now, when the people see them all of a sudden they are now they now have clothes on as well as they are in their right mind and they are sitting with Jesus i want you to know what this means here see because what you see here is very symbolic as to what Jesus does in the life of a believer i want to remind you of one thing that Jesus said he says i came for the sick Those that are well have no need of a physician, he says, but all that are sick have a need of a physician. Every believer that comes to Jesus acknowledges that they are sick. Just like these demon-possessed men, we may not have demons possessing us, but we are definitely sick and in need of a Savior. And when you come to faith, or when you come to Jesus by faith, I want you to know, as I mentioned, this is very symbolic When you come to Jesus by faith, He actually puts new clothes on you. I don't know if you know this. And not only this, but He also gives us a right mind. I'm going to talk about these two things, right? Because I think they're very relevant and very important. See, one thing that we know is that when we come to Jesus, we have a new set of clothes. And I've titled these, or I've branded this new set of clothes as R&C Clothing. And what do I mean by RNC clothing? It is righteous and clean clothing that we have on. See, prior to Jesus, I want you to know this. You and I were wearing filthy rags. I want you to understand that the clothes that we have on, that we had on prior to Jesus, they were dirty and they were stained with sin. They were soiled with sin. And this really tells us who we are, right? And what we wear. See, but when you come to Jesus, Jesus supernaturally puts on new clothes on you. He puts on clean clothes on you. And you may be wondering, how is this, right? I want to give you a picture of this. I want to give you a better picture of this. And the Bible actually has this illustration for us to see. See, there was a time when Zechariah had a vision. And it's from Zechariah chapter 3. If you want to turn there, we're going to read from there. But I want to explain to you what's been going on here. See, the Lord gives Zechariah a vision. And in this vision, He gives Zechariah a picture, or He gives him a vision of three three people. The first is Joshua the high priest. We're not talking about Joshua the, the assistant to Moses that led people into the promised land. We're talking about the high priest whose name was Joshua. He also gives them the vision of the Lord as well as Satan. So the Lord gives Zechariah a picture of these three people. And I want you to know what when He gives them this picture, I want you to understand this, that it is very symbolic of the spiritual work of Christ in the lives of believers. See, this is a, a symbolic of, of what happens to us when we place our faith In Jesus Christ. And not only this, it also reveals the grace and the mercy of God. Because every single one of us are sinners that are redeemed and cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And when I say this, I say this because of what we're going to talk about. As we read here in Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1, it says this. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. So you have here Joshua, you have here uh, uh, the Lord, and then you also have here Satan himself. And here the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments. And was standing before the angel. Imagine that we're talking about clothing, right? We're talking about filthy garments. We're talking about how Jesus puts on a new set of clothes. And then, he, as he's standing before the angel, then Jesus answered and spoke those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. Take away the filthy garments from Joshua the high priest. And to him he said, See, I have removed your inequity from you. And I will clothe you with rich robes. And I said, hear the Lord, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head, and they put the clothes on him, and the angel of the Lord stood by. What you see here is you have an illustration of the clothes that Jesus puts on us. How he takes off the filthy garments that we have on that are stained with sin, that are soiled with sin, that are filthy and dirty. And yet, when we come to know Jesus Christ, He shows us here how He puts new clothes on us. Clothes that are clean, clothes that are that have been washed, clothes that have been wiped by the blood of Christ. And this is His righteousness that He's putting on us. Imagine this. Imagine, I want you to visualize it. See, for us, it's hard to visualize new clothes being put on us. But in the spiritual realm, I want you to know this, that when God the Father sees us, He doesn't see us with the filthy garments on anymore. You know how He sees us? With the clean robes, the clean clothes of Jesus Christ. The righteousness of Christ that has been put on us. We also want to talk about having a right mind, right? These men that were there, remember these two demon-possessed men, they had clean clothes on and they were now in the right mind. See, Jesus has a way of renewing our minds. I don't know if you know this, but one thing that Jesus does is He gives us a new mind. See, what Jesus does is He supernaturally does this. When you accept Jesus into your heart by faith, that He gives you a new mind. Look at what it says here in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. It says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. When you receive Jesus Christ, you will receive a sound mind. See, what happens to us before Christ, what happened to us? Our minds were so messed up, right? Our minds were filled with perversities and blasphemies. And you know what you were doing with these perversities and blasphemies? You were living them out. That's what we were doing, right? Whatever thoughts we had in our minds, we wanted to live them out. But all of a sudden, when you come to know Jesus Christ... He renews your mind. We see these demons that had their minds that were renewed. I mean, these these men that were possessed by demons, they had their minds that were renewed. That's what He does to us. See, when you come to Christ, understand this, that our minds are no longer messed up. If the Spirit of God is dwelling in you, He gives you a sound mind so that you're not doing stupid things, so that you're not doing crazy things, so that you're not doing dishonorable things. Look at what Paul tells us As he wrote to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians chapter four, beginning in verse 20, he says, But you have not so learned, but you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct. The old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God into righteousness and holiness. See what happens with us is that all of a sudden God renews our mind, he renews the spirit of your mind and that and when he renews the spirit of your mind, you are now walking in righteousness and holiness. And I want to share this with you. It's not that we're not going to be that that we're not going to not sin because none of us can do that right until we're in the presence of the Lord. But as long as you have these bodies that you have on today, you will mess up, but you won't practice that. You won't live that out. See, what Jesus does is that He gives us now the power. He gives us now this renewed mind by the power of His Spirit to really live for Christ. No longer practicing the things that you used to do. This is why, as he gives us this verse, and this is in case you don't know, where Calvary Chapel New Beginnings, our signature verse is 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, where it says this: Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, all things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And this is what happens to us as Christians. I want you to know this. When you give your when you come to Jesus by faith and you give Him your heart, you give Him your life, He makes us into a new creation. He makes us brand new. And as we see this, right, we see this with the life of these two men that were demon-possessed. All of a sudden, they are renewed. All of a sudden, they are wearing clothes. And as we think about this, right, Matthew and Mark tell us about these men these men that were feeding the swine, these men that saw these men that were demon-possessed, as well as the pigs that went over the cliff. And so for them, imagine how mind-blowing it would have been to see, you know, from afar off, right? Because they're feeding the pigs, they're feeding the swine. And afar off, they see this, these two men that were demon-possessed, right? These two men that were cutters, these two men that would scream, these two men that were fierce and strong... And they see them coming to Jesus. And all of a sudden, they yield themselves to Jesus. They fall on the floor and they begin to worship Jesus. They're thinking to themselves, man, who must this guy be, right? For these men to yield to Jesus. And all of a sudden, they see, or all of a sudden, the pigs that they're feeding, they see them running over the cliff into the sea. Imagine this. Imagine what they would have saw because it's more than that. Because all of a sudden they see these men that are yielding to Jesus, right? These two demon-possessed, and all of a sudden they're feeding these swine. And imagine when these swine uh, had these demons come into them, what would they have done? They would have just, these pigs themselves, right? To feel these demons going into them, they would have been doing these pig sounds like, right? Right? All these sounds that they do, right? And imagine all these crazy sounds because there's 2,000 pigs. So imagine as the demons enter them, they're going, to, they're doing these crazy sounds, and they run into over the cliff and into the sea. So for them, I mean, this would have been mind-boggling, right? So what do they do? They immediately go back to the city. They want to let the people know, hey, you know what? There were these these two. Remember those two men that that are in the graveyard, that they're possessed, they're fierce, they're naked, and all of a sudden they're clothed. They're yielding to this man, and we saw all of our pigs going over the cliff. And so the people, of course, what do they want to do? They want to see what happened, right? This is what we read here in verse 33. It says, then those who kept, up, who kept them fled, and they went into the city and told everything, including what happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to depart from the region. You know what's sad about all of this, right? They want to see for themselves. Hey, is this man speaking truth? It's just like any of us, right? If we see something that is out of the ordinary, we're going to tell people, right? And what are people going to do? They're going to flock. They're going to go over there and to see, is it really as this person says? I want to see it for myself. And so you have the whole town that goes out to see it for themselves. And how do they respond to Jesus? Are they happy? Are they saying, praise God, you delivered these men that were demon-possessed. Look at them, they have clothes on. Look at them, they're in the right mind now. They say none of that. What do they do? Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us all the same thing. You know what they do? They ask Jesus to leave. Imagine that. They ask Jesus to leave. They refuse to recognize who Jesus is. They refuse to submit to Jesus. They refuse to recognize the power of Jesus. They refuse to acknowledge this supernatural power that only God could possess. We all may be thinking, Wow, you know what? I wouldn't do that. Or people wouldn't do that, right? I want you to know that this happens all day long. I want you to understand this. How many... People have seen the power of Jesus in the lives of Christians to see how they've been transformed, how they've been renewed, how they've been changed, how they've been delivered from sin, and yet they refuse to acknowledge Jesus Christ. It happens all the time, right? When you're telling people, you know what? I came to Jesus and all of a sudden my mind is renewed. You tell people, I've been transformed. I'm not the same anymore. I've been delivered from sin, from the chains of sin. And people are just like, we don't want to hear this anymore, right? We don't want to hear about Jesus. This happens with our families. This happens with our friends, right? How many of our family and friends, when we came to know Jesus and all of a sudden we're not talking the same, all of a sudden we're not doing the same thing, and they keep saying, I don't want you talking about Jesus here anymore. It happens, right? It's the same thing with, these men, with, with the whole town. See, this whole town, they did not want to acknowledge Jesus. And imagine to see the power of Jesus to deliver these two demon-possessed people, and yet they refuse to acknowledge it. But you know what's crazy about all of this? is what Mark told us, right? In, in Mark's account... He actually told us that the people were afraid. See, Mark actually tells us that they're afraid. Let's read Mark's account. In Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 18. And I I bring this up because it's critical to how the world is today. Mark chapter 5, verse 18 says this. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him... Oh, I'm sorry... Prior to that, in Mark, here let me let me go to Mark, chapter five. When you see here in Mark chapter five, it says here that and those in verse. Well, let's read from verse fifteen. It says, "Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were." Uh, I want you to understand this, that word afraid there, that word afraid in the Greek is the word, it is the word phobio, okay, it is a word phobio, and I want you to understand what this word phobio means, it means that you have an awe for Jesus, or you have a reverence for Jesus, so in other words these people acknowledge that Jesus has done something that no other man can do. They actually acknowledge that you know what that, that 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 you know what that he was doing something that no one else can do. And they were in awe of it and they reverence Jesus. But you know what's so sad about this is that they knew that he was no ordinary man because of what he did, but yet they were still not willing to surrender themselves to Jesus. Imagine that. They had a phobia. they had an awe, they had a reverence for him because they knew that he was no ordinary man but that he contained supernatural powers and yet they did not want to surrender themselves to him. See, this is the world that we live in. We have millions and billions of people that don't want to surrender themselves to Jesus even though they see the power of Jesus working in our lives yet they still refuse to surrender themselves to him. Now let's talk about the response of the one that was healed by Jesus. The one that was healed by Jesus, let's look at his response. Because his response is very much different than these from the town. Let's read now in Mark chapter 5 verse 18. It says, And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him. But said to him, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. Imagine this. Imagine when when Jesus gets into the boat, this demon possessed man had a much different response, right? His response was, I want to go with you, Jesus. His response is, I'm begging you, Jesus, allow me to go with you. But what does Jesus say? Jesus tells him, you can't come. Jesus says, I have a plan for you. I have, I have something that I want you to do for me. And what I want you to do is I want you to go home and tell your family and your friends. Tell them the great things that the Lord has done for you and how he had compassion on you. And guess what this man does? He does exactly this. He goes home, and it says that everyone that heard from this man that was demon-possessed, they all marveled. Imagine this. They all marveled. When I read this, right, it really speaks of God's mercy and grace. And the reason I share this is because, see, Jesus went into this town, right? He wanted them to see him. For who he was. He wanted them to surrender themselves to Jesus. Right? To see his power. To see that he does what no ordinary man can do. Because he is God. And his hopes were that they would surrender their lives to Jesus. But instead, they rejected him. Jesus still had grace and mercy upon this town. Why do I say this? It's because he didn't tell the guy to come with me. He didn't tell the guy to come go with Jesus. Instead, he tells the guy... Go back and tell your family and friends. See, this speaks to all of us. How many of us, when we first heard about Jesus, did we say, okay, I'm surrendering myself to Jesus, right? Did many of us do that when you first heard about Jesus? Not many of us, right? How many times did it take before you finally said, okay, Jesus, I'm going to surrender my life to you? It took Time after time, right? Jesus kept doing what? He kept reaching out to you. He kept sending people to you to speak about Jesus to you so that you can surrender yourself to Him, right? As well as His Holy Spirit that was speaking to you and convicting you of your sin so that you can surrender yourself to Jesus and say, yes, Jesus, I need you. Yes, Jesus, I'm going to surrender to you. Do you see the compassion? Do you see the mercy and the grace of Jesus? He doesn't just say, hey, you rejected me, that's it. He says, no, you know what? I'm going to continue to reach out to you because I love you. This is the compassion of Jesus. This is the love that Jesus had. I'm going to share with you and I'm going to give you here a personal testimony of my life. See, even though I wasn't demon possessed, I wasn't serving the Lord. And if I wasn't serving the Lord, then guess who I was serving? I was serving the devil. I was serving the world. I was serving my flesh. I was held captive to these things, right? And I knew it. I knew that I was walking. I was living a life that was fulfilling the lust of the flesh. And when I came to know Jesus, just like this demon-possessed man that finally surrendered himself to Jesus, that when he surrendered himself, just like I surrendered myself, I couldn't keep my mouth quiet about Jesus. I had to go out and talk to people about what Jesus had done in my life. I've shared this with all of you. I went home and I went to my friends. I went to my family and I began to share Jesus with them. Not only them, but I'll share this with you. Any person that I would meet, like I'd be driving in my car, right? I'd see somebody at the bus stop and guess what I'd be doing? I'd be asking them, hey, if they needed a ride. And when they got in the car, you know what I'd be sharing with them? What Jesus had done in my life. This is what God wants us to do, right? This is what he was doing. This is what this man was doing. He knew who he was before. I knew who I was before. I knew I was in chains. I knew I was shackled. And yet Jesus delivered me and set me free. And I couldn't keep my mouth quiet. God wants us to do the same. Have we lost that passion? Have we lost, you know, this zeal for God? Are we saying, oh, we're older now. We're going to allow others to do it for us. That's not what Jesus wants from us. You know, Matthew, the writer of the gospel, you know what he did after he made his decision to follow Christ? Because he knew that once he said, yes, Lord, I'm going to follow you. I'm surrendering my life to you. Shackles, chains were broken off, just like I felt them, right? I didn't physically see them, but I knew that it happened. I knew I was thinking I had a renewed mind. I wasn't the same anymore. Matthew was the same way. You know what Matthew did? Matthew decides to have a party. After he came to know Jesus, after he said, you know what, I'm going to follow you. You know what he does? He has a party. He invites all of his family and friends. And when he invites his family and friends, he has Jesus speaking to all of them. He wanted them to experience the same thing that he experienced. He wanted them to be delivered, to have the chains broken off, just like it happened to him. He had a party and people went. People went there. And this is the attitude that the Lord has wants us to have. He wants us to be excited to remember what He did for us, right? This supernatural work that He did, this miracle in our lives. Imagine if we were doing that. Imagine this church, right? It's not completely packed up, but it's very full. Imagine if each and every one of you were inviting people to come to Jesus. We know that not everybody would come, but hey, you know what? 10 to 20% of the people you invited would come. If just one of you invited 10 people, we could have... Two more people in here. Imagine that. We'd have to just open up this wall here. We'd have to have services next door. We'd have to open it all up, right? Or have multiple services, three services instead of two. But are we losing this passion? Are we losing this this zeal that we have? Because know this, the Lord is coming soon. And He's reminding us to make sure that we are reaching out to people. But what is going to be the response? This is what we're talking about, right? We're talking about our response. What are the decisions for Christ? What are the decisions? We see these two demon-possessed men that they made a decision for Christ. But yet the whole town decided to say, you know what? We don't want Christ. We don't want Him now. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you five points. I'm going to give you five points now when it comes to responding to Jesus. When it comes to making decisions for Jesus Christ. And these points are very relevant for us. And they also speak really of spiritual things that will happen, as well as physical, okay? And I want to talk about the first point. The first point when it comes to making a decision for Christ is that everyone must make a decision, okay? Point number one, every one of us must make a decision. Everyone that is here in this church must make a decision for Christ either for him or against him. There's no in between. There's not saying, "Okay, you know what? I'm going to be for Jesus on Sunday and then during the week I'm going to be for, you know what, for for my life, for the world, for, you know what, the things of my flesh and for all that stuff." It doesn't work that way. Either you're for him or you're against him. There's no sitting or standing on or sitting on the fence. You can't do that. Either you're for him or you're against him. Either you're going to re- accept him or reject him. And this is what the call is for all of us today. Are we truly for God, for Jesus, or not? When you look at the life of Joshua, I want you to know this. Joshua was, you know what, Joshua was sold out for the Lord. And here we're talking about Joshua, Moses' assistant that led the people into the promised land. I want you to know one thing about Joshua. Joshua was sold out for the Lord. Ever since he, he he surrendered himself to God, he was sold out for the Lord, right? And there came a time that after they were in the promised land that, that Joshua said, okay, you know what? We all must make a decision. We must make a decision today. Either we're going to serve the Lord or not. And he presented it to all the people, to all the Israelites. And look at what it says here in Joshua 24 verse 15. He says, and if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites. And this speaks to us because how many of us came from Christian homes? How many of us didn't come from Christian homes? Show of hands. How many of us did not come from a Christian home? You were the first ones to give yourself to the Lord. We aren't serving the gods of our fathers because the gods of our fathers... They they weren't serving the Lord Jesus Christ. They weren't surrendered to Him. See, it's the same way here, right? These people, were they were surrendering themselves to the gods of the Amorites, the gods on the other side of the river. But Joshua says this, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua was saying, choose for yourselves. Make a choice today who you will serve. I want you to know that this is one of my favorite scriptures of the Bible. I want you to know that In my house, for those of you that have come to visit my house, you know that I have this scripture written in the front of my yard. I have this scripture written in my house. There was a time when I saw this plaque, right? This plaque that said, but as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. And I love that plaque. And I said, you know what? One day when I redo my kitchen, when I do tile in my kitchen, I'm going to put it on there permanently. And you know what I did? When I redid the kitchen, I put it on there permanently. You know what, this scripture, as people that know me and my my home, we serve the Lord. I want everybody that walks into my house to know that, as for this house, this house serves the Lord. See, what happens many times is that, many times we say, oh yeah, we serve the Lord, right? Oh yeah, you know what, I surrendered myself to Jesus Christ. Oh yeah, I came to Him by by faith. But yet, your household is is not even serving the Lord. We allow people to sin in our households. We allow this to go on. I know my aunt isn't here today. Uh, My wife's aunt, she's she's actually sick and she can't be here. If she was here, I'd still say this anyways. But she came to us, not as a Christian. And when she came to us, I made this. I shared it with her and I shared it with my wife. I said, if you are to come and live in this house, I want you to know one thing. You will serve the Lord. You will come to church. The choice is yours. You don't have to come to my house. But if you come to my house you will be going to church. And guess what? She's now a believer. See, I will not allow people in my house to live there that aren't serving the Lord. Why would I do that? Why am I going to allow my children, right? To live there and allow them to sin when, when I must make a choice. I'm the leader of that house. I must make a choice that whoever lives in my house, they will serve the Lord. See, I'm the ruler. I'm the leader of that home. And if they don't want to live there, they don't want to make that decision, then guess what? let them leave and I guarantee you this much they're coming right back home why are they coming home? because they know how comfortable how great it is in your house why are they going to be out there when they can live your kids can live for free your kids are being fed the people that are there are in harmony they're in peace, right? but when we allow those to do whatever they want in our household then guess what? it doesn't work that way they create problems and and issues, right? See, for us, as Christians, we must stand and we must, be, we must have a zeal and a passion for the Lord to, to make sure that those that are living in our house are serving God. Amen. This is what God wants for us. Not only did Joshua say this, but I want you to know this, that also Elijah throughout this, Right, we're talking about choices that everyone must make a decision. Either you're going to choose God or you're not. In 1 Kings chapter 18, beginning in verse 21, Elijah throws this out too. He says, Elijah came to the people and he asked them, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. The choice was there. Are you going to serve God or are you not going to serve God? Every single one of us must make a decision. Which leads to point number two. Your decision is a defining moment. Your decision is a defining moment. And what I mean by this, I want you to understand that when you make a decision, when you choose Jesus Christ, it now defines who you are. It now defines whether you are a child of God or not. See, the other day I was talking to somebody and they were saying, we're all children of God. I want you to understand, we are not all children of God. Only those that place their faith in Jesus Christ are children of God. But I also let him know one thing that is very important, is that Jesus loves you the same way He loves me. See, God has a perfect love for you, and He wants you to be a child of God, but until you surrender yourself by faith to Him, then you become a child of God. But His love for you is just like He loves me. Look at what it says in John, and this is the scripture that I gave him. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Understand this. The only ones that have the right to become children of God are those that believe in Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says. It's not what I say. It's what the Bible says. It's what the Word of God says. And the men of the Gergazines, of town of the Gergazines, they decided, you know what? We don't want to be children of God. The demon-possessed men, they said, you know what? Yes, we want to be children of God. Which leads me now to what happened next to these demon-possessed men. When you make a choice for God, just like these demon-possessed men, He makes you brand new. Point number three is, your decision makes you brand new. We mentioned this, right? 2 Corinthians five seventeen, the signature verse of this church. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. How many of us regret our past, what we did in our past? Many of us do, right? Many of us regret what we did in our past. How many of us want to forget the things that we did in our past? Many of us want to forget the things that we did in our past. The Bible says in this scripture that we are new creations. He says that the past is forgotten. That's what he's saying. That when you choose Christ, you are now a new creation and the past is forgotten. I want to give you an illustration. I want to give you something that you, can, that you can visually see this. How many of us have seen caterpillars before they become a butterfly? Okay. Some of you have not. And caterpillars, in case you haven't seen one, they are ugly worms. They are ugly worms that are on steroids, right? They're big, right? They're like these ugly things. I mean, they are grotesque, right? You look at them and you're like, oh, that is ugly. See, this is the way we are, right? We're the same way, right? We have filthy garments on. We are just soiled with sin. And what does this caterpillar do? He makes a cocoon, doesn't he? And he goes into the cocoon. And what does he come out? That's a beautiful butterfly, Right? Let me ask you this, can the butterfly go back into the cocoon and make himself back a caterpillar? He can't do that, right? It speaks of the fact that he is a new creation. See, you and I are the same with Jesus Christ. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, you and I become new creations. What happens to us is there is a spiritual metamorphosis that happens in us that makes us into new creations. See, our caterpillar past, I want you to understand this, is forgotten by Christ and it is buried in the sea of forgetfulness. Jesus Christ does this, right? I want you to know this. When you come to know Jesus Christ, all of your sins of the past are thrown into the sea. He says, and no one can take them out anymore. That's what's so amazing about God. And He makes us now into brand new creations. Aren't you glad that your sins have been washed away? See, we don't have to worry about what we did in the past. Did you know that the only one that brings up our past is the devil and ourselves? Because God forgets about it. And God says, I don't need to hear this. I don't see them the way you see them. They are now clothed with what? With new garments. They are now clothed with the righteousness of Christ. That's what's so amazing about God. See, Colossians chapter 2 speaks of this too. He says, And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He, Jesus, has made alive together, or God, I'm sorry, God has made alive together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Imagine that. Imagine that all of our sins have been forgiven. You know what? All the handwriting that we did, all the sins that were, you know what? That were written down because our sins are written down. Everything that we do is written down. Guess what? It's wiped away. Why? Because it was nailed on the cross. Imagine that. Nailed on the cross. We don't have to worry about it anymore. They've been paid for and they've been forgiven by Jesus Christ. And when this happens, I'm going to give you point number four. Your decision, your choice for Christ now gives you a new master. It gives you now a new master. Imagine that. What do I mean by this? See, the Bible is very clear that... You're either going to have the devil as your master, or you're going to have God as your master. Look at what it says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. It says, They're little children. Let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil... Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his sin remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. What happens here is that the scriptures are telling us that we can only serve one. Either you're going to serve God, or you're going to serve the devil. And if you are practicing sin, guess who who you're serving? You're serving the devil. And if you are practicing righteousness, guess who you are serving? You are serving God. I want you to know it doesn't mean that you're not going to slip. This is a, a big thing that happens to us, right? We think that, okay, now that I came to know God, I'm going to be perfect in all my ways. That I'm going to be so good and, and I'm going to be without sin. I want you to know this. That's a lie. You and I will sin. You and I will trip up. But it doesn't mean that we're going to practice those things. See, what happens to many is that many say, Oh, I came to know Jesus Christ. Oh, I, I surrender my life to Him. And yet, I'm looking forward to having sex with my friend, with, my, with this man or this woman on the weekends. I'm looking forward to doing drugs, right? I'm looking forward to all these things. I'm practicing these things on weekends. On Sundays, yes, I go to church, but at you know what? At night and on weekends, I'm doing these other things. That's what you call practice, Now, if you slip up and you happen to mess up and you fell into it and you're like, oh Lord, forgive me. Just wipe off your sin by confessing it to Jesus Christ. There's a big difference between between a lifestyle and slipping. And this is what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, if you are practicing righteousness and holiness, then you are a child of God. If you are practicing lawlessness and sin, then guess who your master is? It's not God. See, for us... You know what? Who is our master? This is a decision that you and I must make, right? It's a choice that we're talking about. Who is my master? Is God going to be my master? I love what Paul says in Romans chapter 6. Let me read to you from verse 16. It says, Do you not know that to whom you present slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves who you obey, whether of sin leading to death, Or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. What he is talking about when you heard the good news, and you finally purpose in your heart to say, yes, I'm going to surrender my life by faith to Jesus Christ, you immediately became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now you present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. Amen? When we read this, I want you to understand this, that when you surrender yourself to Jesus Christ, when you make a decision for Christ, you now make yourselves a slave of God. Your new master, your new Lord now is Jesus Christ. And this is what you do. You do as He says what His Word says. And what's so amazing about God is God says that in your flesh, there's no way that you can do this on your own. So what do I do? What does God does? God says, I will give you the helper. I will give you the Holy Spirit to give you power to live a righteous life. This is what God does. This is what's so amazing about God. And I want you to know this. Point number five, that a decision for Christ defines your future a decision for Christ defines your future you know what's so amazing about God is that when you make a decision for Jesus Christ see, because no one can go to the Father but through Jesus Christ this is why Jesus says I am the way the truth and the life no one goes to him but through me and when you make a decision you place your faith in Jesus Christ the fact that he's the one that came that he is the son of God that he in fact is God and died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins you know what? then you are now a child of God. And your, de- your decision defines your future. This is what, we didn't read this, in Romans 6 verse 23 it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What's so amazing about this is that when you say yes to Jesus, when you finally say, You know what, Jesus, I am surrendering my life to you, guess what? You have made now your home in heaven above. To be in the presence of God forever and ever and ever when He takes you from this earth. This is what's so amazing, right? You and I define our future on the decision that we make for Christ. I want to close with this scripture from Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to read verse 1 through 9. Look at what it says here. And you He made alive. He's talking to us. He made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. We were all dead because of our trespasses, because of our sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world. See, this is your enemy, right? The world. You did what the world wanted you to do, right? Whatever the world was promoting, before you came to know Christ, you were after it, weren't you? He goes there and he says, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. He's talking about here the devil, right? He's the prince of the power of the air. He's the one that works in the sons of disobedience. This is who we follow. This is what we walked after. We were listening to him and we were doing as he says. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. Imagine this. The third enemy is mentioned here, our flesh. Our flesh. We were fulfilling the lust of the flesh. Whatever the desires of the flesh were, we wanted to do it before we came to know Christ, didn't we? We were wanting to fulfill whatever our flesh wanted. But yet, as it says there, but God, who erases all the things of the past, who says, I will replace it, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Amen? This is what Jesus does. When you make a choice for Christ, guess he's telling us that we will spend eternity where there is no more tears, no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain. You will spend eternity when you make a choice for Jesus in the presence of God forever and ever and ever. This is the promise of God. And this is what happens to us when we make a choice for Jesus. So now I'm going to give you an opportunity to make a choice. Do you want to receive all these things that we talked about? Do we want to be made brand new? Do we want want to now serve God as our master? Do we want this new home, this new future in heaven above? If this is any of you, I'm going to give you now an opportunity to do this. And I want to remind you also that if we are compromising in our walk with Jesus if you and I are compromising in our walk with Him, if we are playing with sin and with fire, if you are playing with these things and you still call yourself a believer, then it's time to make things right. You know what? We want there to be a revival within us as well as within this church, as well as within this city that will just overflow into the places around us. But it all starts with us making a commitment for Jesus. If you want these things that Jesus will do in your life, as He told us, these are promises from His Word, I'm going to ask you now to raise your hand, and we will pray for you. Anybody wanting this now, raise your hand. Amen. Anyone else wanting this? Raise your hand. Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else? Raise your hand. Don't keep the devil. Don't allow the devil to keep you from all that God has for you. Anyone else wants? Amen. Anyone else? Amen. Anyone else? Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? The devil wants to keep us in chains, believe me. And if you are playing with fire and with sin, it's time to make things right. If there's anyone else, as I'm giving you an opportunity, amen. Anyone else? Anyone else? I know that God is calling more. Make a choice. Don't let the devil keep you in chains. Don't let the devil keep you from all that God has promised you. Raise your hand and we will pray for you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else? For all of you that raise your hands, this is that defining moment, the decision that you made for Christ. I'm going to ask you now to stand up and repeat this prayer after me. Stand up. Stand up. Anyone else? Stand up. Anyone else? Lord, you see these people that are standing. And they are making a decision for you, Lord. This is the defining moment, Lord. As they are not ashamed to say, yes, I surrender myself to Jesus Christ. They are not ashamed to humble themselves before you. And to invite you into their lives. To make them brand new. To give them a new future. And a hope. For those that are standing. I'm going to ask you now to repeat this prayer prayer after me. Lord Jesus. I come to you. Asking you for forgiveness. I've sinned against you. I've messed up bad. And now I'm inviting you into my heart. Into my life surrendering myself by faith to You as my Lord and as my Savior. Heavenly Father, thank You for sending Your Son to die on the cross for me, to pay my penalty. And now, Holy Spirit, Jesus, as well as my Heavenly Father, has sent you Holy Spirit to be my helper to be my strength to be the power when I am weak remind me as I am tempted to sin to yield to your power to yield to you Lord Jesus you are now my Lord and my Savior. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.